0: It's interesting, as time progresses, we find that our, our needs change, and the Word of God is already there, and the Word of God is already uh, there with the answer a long time before we ever need it, and today, we're going to be dealing with some things that I hope that we'll be able to see uh, be, be first challenged and encouraged uh, in, our, in our Christian lives, 2 Timothy 2.14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. When Adam and Eve were created in the, in the Garden of Eden, they were a they were created with the appearance of age they looked like full they they were full grown adults and as as such they had the appearance of 25 30 whatever it happened to be even though it was the first day now that is an interesting situation because one of the things that that adam did was able to do on day one that we don't do on day one is he was able to communicate. And I believe he was able to communicate fully. I believe that when God gave Adam, uh, when he created Adam, he created him with a complete vocabulary. Now, when we say the word complete vocabulary, I'm going to suggest to you that the first thing we would think would be a whole lot more words that what we know today, except for the fact that I looked it up on, online and it said that the English language has almost a million words. <laughs> Stop and think about that for a minute, okay? Now, it went on to say that many of those words are archaic. They're not used anymore. Many of them are technical words that are only used by certain people and so on and so forth. But the bottom line is, over a million, uh, almost a million words. Now, I don't think that Adam needed that many words because I believe the language was much more precise. One of the difficulties we have in our world is when we start talking and we say one thing and somebody hears us say something else. Uh, even in marriage, I thought you said are uh, one of the most dangerous words that you can hear in your marriage. But didn't you tell me? And and uh, the scramble begins. <laughs> words are important. I used to have a, a friend. He's gone to be with the Lord now, but but uh, a great man of God who used to say, and he, he was from Georgia. And a strong Georgia accent, he would say, "Words are important. I M P O R D A N T, uh, important." <laughs> and and uh, but he was making a point. It's, it, we need to be careful the words that we use. Being able to use words properly is even more important. I have uh, seven uh, children in law. And uh, we're very proud of our, our, our in-laws. Uh, uh, we, they, they, are a, they are a diverse group. I will tell you that right now. One of our sons-in-law is named Andy Knight, married our oldest daughter. He is a wordsmith. He's a journalist. And, uh, and he's very good at it. He has uh, he, he won regional and national awards. Last year he was able to take his vacation uh, uh, as a part of a... Uh, He was sent to a a, a seminar uh, up in the Pacific Northwest and 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 able to take his family up there uh, as a a reward for for his work. And uh, we're very proud of the fact that that Andy is very good at being able to use the English language. One of the most interesting and, in many ways, enigmatic uh, people in, in American history is William Jennings Bryan. Now, if you, if you do know anything about Bryan, you will probably know that uh, William Jennings Bryan defended the creationist position at the Scopes Monkey Trials back in 1925 in Dayton, Tennessee. And, uh, and uh, he's best known for that. But in his time, that was just kind of an addendum to his life. Uh, in 1896... He stood at the Democratic National Convention, and it was a mess. Uh, they had no idea who was going to be the Democratic uh, candidate for president of the United States. It was It was a total disaster. Uh, uh, Brian was a young journalist from from uh, Nebraska, and he was asked to give a speech uh, one evening and he stood and he gave a speech and 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 it became one of the it, it was one of the greatest. Uh, individual speeches ever given by any politician. And by the time he got finished, the entire body was ready to, to de- proclaim him the Democratic uh, candidate for president of, of the United States. And he was nominated as president of the United States. As a matter of fact, he was nominated three times. Uh, if you've studied the president, you know he never lo- never never won. But uh, he was the secretary of state under... under uh, uh, under Woodrow Wilson, but his 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 moniker, his nickname, was was the uh, the silver tongued orator. Now there was political reasons for that. that I'm not going to get into today, but he was uh, he had the abilities to use the language. Now the interesting thing about uh, about uh, Brian, he he's known for defending creation. He was a Sunday school teacher, and yet he pushed socialism and he championed some very bad ideas. A few years ago, I attended a homeschool convention in Indianapolis. And one of the speakers at this homeschool convention was from Bryan University. And he got up and he was, he was uh, uh, espousing certain political views as they pertain to, to homeschooling and so on and so forth. And, and, and the more he talked, the bigger my eyes got, guys from Bryan. And I just happened to run into him in the hallways and I, I struck up a conversation with him, and I, and I finally said, I, "I said I'm not trying to pick a fight or anything here, but I said, William James Bryan did not believe what you were espousing." He kind of looked this way and says, "Don't tell anybody this," but he says, "There's only about three people at Bryan University that would vote for Bryan if he were running for office today." Uh, his his political ideas were bad. His theological ideas were wonderful. We have a lot of that. Peter, at the transfiguration, said some really stupid things. (laughs) Peter, on the night that Christ was arrested, said some blasphemous things. And yet, Peter, when he was faced, who am I? By the Lord Jesus, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. May I suggest to you that words are important, and words can go both ways. Our text talks about words which do no good. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Reminder of the context, Paul is in prison. He's awaiting death. He knows that he is, is, is going to be executed maybe hours, days, weeks. We don't know what it was, but it was certain and sure. Sure. He was writing to Timothy to, to, to encourage him to continue on with the gospel. And because of the situation that he was in, Paul was focused on the gospel. He didn't have time for the net picker, the hair splitter, or the word parser. He wanted to make sure that they stayed on point. He says, and this is a serious thing, he says, charge them before God. The issue that were before Paul as he was dealing with him in this passage. This is not a peccadillo. This is not some preference issue that doesn't make any difference. We're talking about things that would sidetrack from the gospel. They would injure people spiritually. And Paul was saying to Timothy, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And I would suggest to you that we have to assume there was a problem in that day. And we, one of the reasons we know that there was a problem with words in that day is there's lots of problems in the world today, in our world, with words. And we have to assume that things are the same. We could not preach a message on words without going to the book of James, chapter 3. We're not going to comment on James, chapter 3, But I believe that it is is vital that we allow the word of God to set the tone for what we're dealing with. James, writing under inspiration of God, wrote these words. Not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How a great forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not so to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. There are words to avoid. And yet there are words that we must use. How do we know when to speak and how do we know when to leave it alone? The great conundrum that's presented in the book of Proverbs chapter 26. The other night I preached this at the prison. And uh, I said, now, should you answer a fool in his folly? And I read Proverbs 26, 4. Answer not a fool in his folly according to his... Uh, according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And yeah, that's right, we, we should and then I read verse five, Answer a fool in his folly, lest he become wise, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And all of a sudden everybody looked at me really strangely. How many of you remember the first time that you read that? And you looked at it and you said, Huh? <laughs> what is there a contradiction in the word of God? Do we have, I mean, a blatant contradiction, is it not? And yet what is God's word saying? I believe it's saying two things. There's a time to answer the fool and his folly, and there's a time not to answer the fool and his folly. And one of the greatest evidences of wisdom is knowing when to say something and when to keep your mouth shut. Will Rogers used to say, Never miss an opportunity to keep your mouth shut. And I'm going to suggest to you that we probably ought to err to that side more often than not. But there is a time when it is our responsibility to say something. Paul starts out by saying, Leave some things alone. Don't do that. But then in verse 15, he says, Do your, present, uh, do your best to present yourself to God as what approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. In the midst of this dire warning against using improper words, the Apostle Paul inserts this verse that we use out of context very often as a a verse showing the necessity of studying the word of God and making certain that we know the truth. Again, do we have a contradiction? I would say no, but we have a balancing truth. Balancing truth is where you have, oftentimes in the word of God, a statement made and another statement made that on, at first blush look like a contradiction. But when we look at it more carefully, we find that they're not a contradiction. They're statements that balance each other. We can't just have keep your mouth shut. And we can't just have run your mouth. We've got to have a balance. And this verse is the the balance in this context. I would suggest to you that we as human beings tend very strongly to the pendulum concept. We go from one side to the other. And one side of the pendulum in the day in which we live, never have any conflicts, never disagree with anybody. We want peace at any price. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Because our, this, this verse tells us, rightly handling the word of truth. And what is inferred here is there will be conflicts. There will be battles. And these battles will be over words. And I'm going to suggest to you at least three different ways that we have battles over words. The first is the tyranny of ignorance. We live in a world that is becoming more ignorant all the time. Oh, yes, technology is exploding. And our ability to do things is exploding. But I'm going to suggest to you that the ability to reason, the, re- the ability to use logic and common sense is rapidly becoming a dodo bird in our society. Politically, we get all the village idiot speaks, and I oh, what do you got to say? I some of the things that you read and hear, and people are all in in awe of the are, are incredible. <laughs> Economically, we we are moving in a direction that's already been tried multiple times in history and never one time did it work. And yet, in our ignorance, we continue to try to move that way. Theologically, we keep having things popped up that were proven to be heresies centuries ago. Centuries ago, we, we know... These, yeah, they just keep popping up. They just keep popping up. There are some circles in which I, I sometimes I think that people's idea that is, is that the book of Proverbs says ignorance is next to godliness. Yeah. <laughs> it, it seems like the, the more ignorant we can be, the, 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 the more godly we are. A few years ago, I we had a neighbor that had a uh, 40s exchange student. And they called me and they said, would you help this girl with with, uh, with uh, history? And I, I said, sure. And so she came down to the house and, and uh, we started looking at history. And, and I, I looked at this history text, public school history text. They used... Two pages to cover everything from Columbus to the uh, Revolutionary War. Two pages. 20 pages on Marilyn Monroe. And these are the people who are writing policy for us today. These are the people whose ideas we're supposed to. be be in awe of. The tyranny of ignorance. There's a need for apologetics. We need to understand that that, uh, there's a reasonableness reasonableness to Christianity. My father used to say that every time the the archaeologist sticks his shovel in the ground, he proves the word of God to be true. And I believe that there's a a lot of truth to that. Now, there are a lot of people who would argue that because every, not every time do they stick their, their shovel in the ground that they find enough to, to catch up with the word of God. And there are times when their ignorance uh, creates, creates a problem. For many years, we faced a real problem with the book of Daniel. Because the book of Daniel tells us that the king at the time of the Media-Persian conquest of Babylon, his name was Belshazzar. And the archaeologists kind of looked at us and said, well, you know, those Christians, they're well-intentioned, they're they're good people, but boy, are they dumb. Because everybody knows that the king of Babylon at the time of the Media-Persian conquest was Nabonidus. I mean we we we've got all kinds of evidence of that. And for a long time we didn't have an answer. Until one day, back about the 1950s, they uncovered a clay tablet and they found out that yes as a matter of fact, Nabonidus was the king of Babylon at the time of the Media Persian conquest. But Nabonidus wasn't home. Nabonidus was out warring someplace else at the time of the Medo Persian conquest, and he left the city in the care of his son, whose name was Belshazzar. Yeah. And when Belshazzar saw the handwriting on the wall, he calls for Daniel and says, If you can tell me what is written on the wall, I will make you the second highest ruler in the kingdom. No. He says the third highest rule in the kingdom. Why? Because he was second. But the book of Daniel doesn't bother to tell us because everybody then knew that. We just, we're the dumb ones today. But I'm going to suggest to you that that archaeology is a a way for us to understand the reasonableness of Christianity. I love the study of creation science. My my uh, second daughter uh, took her uh, children to the to the uh, to the Ark Encounter in uh, in Cincinnati this last week. And uh, when we lived back there, we we went to the uh, Creation Museum a couple different times, and uh, and it was it was very very helpful, very very useful. One of the great things about about uh, the study of creation science is the fact that 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 We have an answer to two questions that science, without God, has no answer for. We have an answer to where the universe came from. They don't. Now, they like to tap, dance, and do this and that, but they have no answer. They have no answer to where did life come from. If you remember studying biology in high school, you remember the, the day that you read that the, the scientists, you know, there was a, there was, they, everybody believed in spontaneous generation. And all of a sudden, this guy covered the meat with cheesecloth and the flies couldn't get to it. And guess what? No maggots came. And all of a sudden, voila! Life comes only from life. And that's not a theory, that's not a hypothesis. That is a law of science. And yet, in order to come up with life without God, they feel that life had to violate the law. We have fulfilled prophecy in the word of God where God said certain things were going to happen, and they did happen. We have to battle sometimes because we're dealing with people who the Bible says don't want to retain God in their knowledge. 1 Peter 3, verse 14 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. We have a responsibility of defending the word of God. And I believe that verse 15 is where it is because God was saying, be careful. Peter said the same thing. Be careful how you answer them. Do it with a good conscience. But understand, a defense can be bloody a defense can be painful, and a defense can be difficult. In 1 Timothy, Paul wrote, uh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the op- uh, opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. The opposing ideas of what is falsely called Knowledge. We have a a responsibility to study, to learn, to know. And when these things come up to be able to say, thus saith the Lord. We have a responsibility toward doctrine, toward systematic theology. If I know the truth, I'm not likely to fall for a lie. You see, Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of the spirit and joints of the marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The sword is not an instrument of peace. But you know what? The sword is an instrument of peace. You see, truth will divide. It will wound. It will cut. But it will also expose error, root out error, reveal motives, and enable healing to take place. What Paul is saying to Timothy here is there's going to be conflicts, but make sure it is proper conflict. Verse 16, he talks about irreverent babble. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Irreverent babble. What an interesting word. I'm going to suggest to you we have irreverent babble when we have false witness and we have false doctrine. Now, I suggest to you that we show lack, when we show, we, we have irreverent babble when we show lack of respect for God and his holiness and we give respect to our sinfulness. When we humanize God and deify man, Oh, that we could get a hold of Isaiah chapter 6, which is what, King Uz, uh, what what Isaiah wrote when he stood before God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting high on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I'm going to suggest to you, upon the authority of the word of God this morning, that one of the greatest problems we find in our churches today is simply a lack of respect to the holiness of God. Reverence is found, irreverence is found in a flippant attitude towards sin, toward careless Bible study. And somebody say, what do you mean careless Bible study? I suggest to you when we start (laughs) proof texting, uh, trying to, trying to, for eisegesis, okay, I go to the word of God, wanting the word of God to prove that I'm right? rather than letting the word of God declare what is right. I think one of the most egregious errors that we find in our world of irreverence is the entertainment that comes about in worship. we have got an inmate right now that, that uh, <laughs> he, he, he wants, he wants um, a little more lively music i love the i love i love the music here uh, i uh i grew up with guitars my my father was the first person uh there's a there's a website that says he's the first person to use electric instruments electric guitars in worship i don't know if that's true or not but there's a website that says that <laughs> and uh but, but I was raised a little differently than most people in my generation. Can I, can I say that without, without fear of, of, of contradiction? You, when my father passed away, he had three Bigsby guitars. And uh, if you know uh, Big, Bigsby guitars, that's, that's the highest level you get. And uh, when he passed away, I was offered a quarter of a million dollars for those three instruments. My sister just sent me a book uh, big coffee table book uh, she went to a guitar museum in uh, Phoenix and discovered this book and she's going through this book and in the middle is our dad <laughs> and, uh, and uh, uh, we sold one of the instruments uh, so my youngest son could go to college and it took care of two years of, of college plus a, an $8,000 Taylor guitar and uh, they interviewed me and, and, and did a did an interview uh, concerning the the, uh, the the instrument that we sold and so on and so forth. And uh, uh, George Groon, who's the guru of, of uh, vintage guitars, and they asked me some questions and I and I began to tell him. Uh, and I had never thought through and never articulated what I what what. what those things, but I, I told them, and I, and I think the, the more I think about it, the more I believe I was on point. My dad was a pioneer in some areas, but my dad hated where what he started ended up. (laughs) Okay. Uh, the, 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 you know, with the, you see the, what's called, uh, praise music with the lights and the smoke and, and, uh, and, uh, the chance, and, and so on and so forth, and we've gotten to the point where there's no, there's no concept of of, of worshiping God. That's right. We find the irreverence in idolatry, where we 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 make a, a god of our creation, a god I can manipulate, a god I can control. We want a god whose name is step and fetch it. You know, come on, God. It's your time. Come on, get with it. This is what I need. And then, not only is false doctrine, but there's false witness. Gossip is the failure to love my neighbor. You know, the law is, is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and love thy neighbor thyself. When we begin to slander, lie about, and so on and so forth. I'm going to suggest to you that we create all kinds of problems. I heard a sermon one time talking about about gossip and trying to show the, the, the how gossip is a problem at both ends. And he called the the uh, he, he called gossip puke heads and puke pots. Puke heads ready to spew stuff, and puke pots ready to catch it. I think he had something going there. We're, we're, we are irreverent toward, our, our, toward people because we see people as, as resources. What can they do for me? We don't, we, we're not interested in evangelism. We don't want responsibility. We don't want accountability. And the difficulty is it will spread. Verse 17, and their talk will spread like gangrene. I've got a page out of order. <laughs> You'll have to excuse me for a second. <coughs> the difficulty we face is that is that is that the, these things are not just limited to to um, uh, limited to to uh, small things. They 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 grow. They they build. In my lifetime, I have. Uh, I've dealt with a lot of people who, uh, who have um, who seem to be intent on division, intent on, on uh, false teaching, intent on, on gossip, and so on and so forth. Uh, a few years ago, back when I was young in the ministry, Uh, I was pastoring down in Cochise County, and and, uh, we had a family moved uh, from another part of Arizona. And, boy, were we excited to have this family. Man, they were were, were exciting. They they were just older couples, sweet, and we just loved them to pieces. (laughs) And then all of a sudden we realized, and this guy began to brag about the fact that wherever he'd gone, he had made, he, he had made sure that when he was tired of a pastor he got rid of him and uh, he began to he began to do that for us didn't work and we'll not get into why but but uh, uh, division people who swerve from the truth here we here we have uh, verse 18. Who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, they are upsetting the faith of some. It's interesting, these people are not outsiders. They were not people who looked like enemies. Were they believers? We don't know. There are times when we would assumed that they were absolutely believers, but now we have to wonder. Their mouth says yes, their lives say no. And the fact that they hurt and damage people is very damaging to their cause. Their damage is real. They hurt the cause of Christ. They destroy churches. Is it intentional? May I suggest to you, when one is convinced of the lie, it's easy for him to convince others of the lie. But that does not make it any less deadly. The truth is, you have these two men, Hymenius and, and, and Philetus. I appreciate the fact that your guess is as good as mine on how to pronounce those, <laughs> those, those, uh, those names. And uh, uh, however you pronounce those, those names, I don't think we're going to have to, we, we probably are not going to have to worry about pronouncing them when we get to heaven. <laughs> but I'm going to suggest to you that that, uh, there was a time when they looked like they were were God's people. They looked like they were brothers in Christ. And I'm going to suggest to you that when they turned away, it caused hurt, disappointment. Friends were lost. Why? Why? Because anytime time these kind of things happen, it divides friendships. A few years ago, there was a, there was a, a division in ARPCA. And uh, I wasn't a part of ARPCA at the time. But one of the people that was highly involved in, in uh, that division was a young man that I grew up with up, up in at northern Arizona. We were, we were in high school together attended, attended uh, uh, camps and, and things together, fish together. I'm going to tell that story. But but uh, but all of a sudden, it it, it created a, a situation where there was a, an issue that we had to, to separate ways. And sometimes when all these things happen, we, we, we despair. We get all... What's going on? The damage that's done is sometimes, as far as we are concerned, irreparable. We, we 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 don't see any hope for it. But verse 19 says, But God's firm foundation stands. Bearing this seal, the Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Remember, Paul was writing to Timothy with his death looming. But Paul wasn't depressed. He wasn't all hung down, slung down, brung down. He understood it was not his work. It was God's work. And God did his, or Paul did his work while he was here. And when God was through with him, God took him home. Timothy was taken over. Were there issues to be aware of? Absolutely. Was the situation hopeless? Absolutely not. If we study church history, we find that the next couple hundred years, there were a lot of ebb and flow as difficulties and trials came up. False teachers would creep in. Persecution would creep in and so on and so forth. And then the dark ages hit in the dark ages things got pretty bleak was there ever a time that god did not have a remnant of grace and then one day god began to deal with a with a young monk from from uh, germany and the reformation came and things were restored and we have lived in many ways in the golden age of church history in the last 200, 400 years. God has continued to do his work. We do not know what God has in mind in the future. If things continue the way they are, things may get very bleak. But we may rest in the wonderful truth that the Lord knows who are his. And we may rest in the wonderful truth that no matter what happens, God is still in control. And God is going to accomplish his purposes in his way and in his time. Be careful about our words. Avoid words that just cause problems. Speak words of kindness, but speak also words of strength. And remember that God is in control. Let's bow our heads in prayer.